My name is Kenny Innes, and on this episode of Theodisc, I'll be speaking with Bev Murrow. Bev has not only pastored churches, but she's been the senior leader of a network of churches called Christian Growth International for almost two decades. She was a pioneer and innovator and has founded Liberty Magazine, Cherish Uganda, and the Kiria Network for Women Leaders. She has a master's in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary, and with 30 years of leadership experience, she acts as a leadership consultant and mentor in the church and charity sector. Bev teaches transformational leadership on the graduate diploma program at WTC, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with her about church leadership lessons learned and not learned through the COVID pandemic. Well, Bev, it's wonderful to have you on the Theodist podcast. Thanks for being here. It's so cool. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and we're going to talk today about what kind of lessons have or haven't been learned from our experience together through lockdown, um, particularly in the area of leadership. But it is interesting how fresh that is. We had a, our Christmas service recently at our church, and we were remembering that just 12 months before there were restrictions that we really couldn't do a lot of these things. So in some ways it feels like, well, thank goodness that's been left behind. But in other ways, I think as we'll maybe get into in our conversation, there are still some lingering effects and things that we need to take stock of and notice of. Yeah. But before we get into that, you have to be subjected to our three questions for every every first timer on the podcast. Because Bev, we want to know you. Yeah, I'm up for it. <laughs> so um, these are about these questions are about things that you return to. So things that are kind of constants in your life. So it's a book, a food or a meal and a place. So first of all, what's a book that you return to? My book is Pilgrim's Progress. And the reason for that is because my surname before I got married was Bunyan. And so Beverly Clyde Bunyan, which is a mouthful anyway. Um, and before I was a Christian, I was just proud of the book. But since then, I've read it and reread it and reread it. I mean, it's a hard book to read too, especially in the original, mm -hmm. but there's so much depth and so much understanding to help us know that Christian life isn't just all this marvellous, free-flowing, everything's cool thing, but there's the slough of despond and then there's getting caught in the castle of the giant of despair and, and there's friends like Brave, um, you know, Braveheart and... Um, and within all of that there's something to be learned so I love that book brilliant yeah great you're the first one who's who's brought that which is interesting to me because it's so well known but good what's a food or a meal that you return to yeah I would yeah, probably roast lamb I have to say roast lamb but I have thought that if I was going to die and I had to choose a last meal a friend of mine makes chocolate mousse from pure chocolate and pure cream and Cointreau. And so you can only ever have a big spoonful of it because it makes you sick. But I think if I was going to die, I'd I'd have like a bowl full of it. <laughs> yeah, because if you're going to be, you're going to die anyway, what's a little yeah, bit of sickness exactly. before that? doesn't matter if I feel sick, I'm, I'm going I'm to have a bullet or whatever. <laughs> and um, a place that you return to. So I haven't returned to this place for a while and I don't know if I will again, 
but my heart returns there all the time, and that's the Orkney Islands. Mm. I love the Orkney Islands, and I miss them. I miss so I used to go there every year, right? And because we had a church there, and I was working there, but I, well, I, I want to say I could live there. But in actual fact, I probably couldn't live there long term because it's quite inhospitable mm-hmm. and there's hardly any trees. But I love the Orkney Islands. Well, listen, you you know a few people in Scotland. I'll go with you. Yeah. Come on, we'll take a trip. Cool. I don't. I've never been to the Orkneys. You know that thing where you live in a place and you never visit all these things. So you could give me the tour. And you're not allowed to say the Orkneys. You have to say Orkney. There you go. You see, ignorant. I'm telling you already. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Bev. Now we know you. So we're going to talk about something I think that you you have a lot to say about. Before we get into that kind of discussion about what's happening in the leadership landscape at the moment, maybe you can say a little bit about your history. You're not just coming at this from a theoretical viewpoint. You spent your your lifetime in ministry leading and training others. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I didn't become a Christian until I was an adult and and married. And my husband didn't become a Christian for a while after that as well. But we went very quickly into ministry. And we went into a very broken, tiny little church, 12 people, three years old. It had split once already. We were its third set of leaders. It was just an absolute nightmare. And we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And so we constantly were saying to the Lord, what will we do? What will we do? What will we do? And the Lord helped us and helped us. And so the church grew and became large and also strong. And um, we planted a couple of churches out from that. And so we were, and probably particularly me, were already looking at uh, ways to identify potential leaders because potential leaders are not necessarily obvious but they've, they're influential people, and sometimes you have to look beyond the social acceptance side of leadership and actually look at who is already leading. And so, and then we moved to the UK and also to another broken little church. And out of that, we began to develop leaders and plant churches, sending leaders out to those. So there's about, I think, 22 churches now in that organisation, and. Many of the leaders I know that I personally have worked with to develop. But what's even more important about that is that many of those leaders now have worked with many leaders to develop. So it's been like I feel like I'm a grandma to those people and a great-grandma because it's just gone down the line like ripples in a pool. People who whom you take the time with to support and help to become the best leader that they can be will automatically give their lives to the next generation in order to do the same. So that's been very powerful for me. And also um, I did a, a master's degree with Fuller um, in global leadership and so that was also very helpful and effective for me as well. So I would say to a great degree leadership is my passion and the church is my passion also. But yeah. So. And at WTC, you teach on transformational leadership. Yeah, so I do. Yeah. It's kind of your bag. I love it. <laughs> so we were talking before um, and you spoke about the, at the beginning of lockdown. So the church is kind of thrust into this um, having to adapt to a global crisis. Um, restrictions come into place, not able to do the things that we 
uh, normally expect to be able to do. And that you said you felt like the Lord kind of spoke really strongly to you in that. You maybe want to share a bit about what you, you sensed him saying. Yes. In actual fact, I'd just come back from my first resi, um, come back from the UK to Australia, and so it was early February. And um, So this is pre this is kind of pre, pre So COVID was about, mm-hmm. and people were recommending that you wear a mask in the airport, etc. But, I mean, there'd been other kinds of things as well, and so I didn't give it much airplay. And then, so it was February 2020, and I was just on my front veranda, and I got that scripture where Jesus says, it's going to be like in the days of Noah, when everybody's just going about their business as usual, and then all of a sudden they got slammed. And I I was bemused by that because I thought, I don't know what that means, and I didn't connect it with COVID. And then I felt like he said to me, the church of 2020 and the church of 2030 will not look anything like each other. They won't, what you see now as church is not what it's going to look like in 2030. And so I I sat on that and in a way I found it hard to believe as well, but I couldn't work out what could make such a big change. And then COVID really showed its face with all, you know, with a vengeance. We went into lockdown and we went into those kinds of areas. But in addition, the Black Lives Matter movement started up and uh, and then we also had this increasing, the increase of climate crisis really powerfully and we also had increase of COVID, um, not COVID, of of refugees, etc. So there came this escalating process by which church was just seemed to be under attack in a whole lot of ways. People were under attack. People were trying to work out, say, for example, Black Lives Matter as a Christian or climate crisis as a Christian or are you going to have vaccines as a Christian, etc., and we were locked down and we were all doing church on Zoom. And within the process of doing church on Zoom, there was uh, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't do the Zoom. A lot of people just didn't do church anymore. We don't know about them. They probably don't even say it or they might have watched it later in the week. But when we all came back together again, there were a lot of people, it appears to me, who said, you know what? I've been on a treadmill as far as church is concerned. I'm there all the time. I've been doing everything. I'm giving it my life. It's been really good not to go to church this period. And so a lot of people did not go back. And some of those people still are not back. And uh, and yet they love the Lord and they're very clear about the fact that they love the Lord. So they haven't given up on their faith, but they're just like, you know what, I don't want this for church. In addition... We also have, I was brought up in, you know, as, a, as an adult Christian, we were trained that you have to bring your kids to church every service and they can go to sleep on the floor. But all the kids that went to sleep on the floor are now parents and they're not bringing their kids to church to go to sleep on the floor. And so there's this change of values. So people are saying, I love the Lord. I'm still investing financially into the church. I still am giving some time to the church but I'm not going to do what I used to do. And uh, that's quite, I've seen a lot of church leaders fold and just, and I say fold, that sounds negative and I don't mean it like that. Some have folded negatively. Some have just said, you know what, my time's up. 
Some churches have folded because their time's up. And other and some people, we're wrestling with really hot potato problems and some people are leaving churches that have stuck to their old hard and fast rule, thou shalt and thou shalt not, and they're looking for churches that are willing to engage with really subjects that are quite fearful to talk about for Christians. And so there's this massive flow. It's like just the tide coming in and a lot of things are being washed away that seem to stand quite strong. So so what does that say then about, um, and I know we're talking in very broad terms here across a whole bunch of denominations and movements, but is there are there maybe some general things you can talk about that were ex- are methods of leadership that were exposed or ways that we were trying to lead people that were exposed by that whole period of not being together um, and maybe causing some of this crisis that people are feeling coming out when things are not the same and they're still trying to lead the way things were before? Mm. I think we've had too many meetings. And, I, I, you know, I'm a, I've been a church pastor for 30 years. I'm not now. But I can see that people, Christians are exhausted and to a great degree, they're exhausted by their meetings. And so we've had too many meetings and Christians just aren't rocking up to them anymore. May or may not, but not this wholesale buy-in that was there before. And I think also they're looking for different options. Like I said, the kids who grew up sleeping on the church floor are not doing that to their children. So that means they're, not, they're going to one service a week. But some of them are going to one service a fortnight. And some of them are going one service a month. And they may be watching the stream, and they may not be, but um, there, there's within there's within people this sense of, I want my Christianity to live out toward the world. The other thing that I've noticed significantly in the Australian churches, which the British churches were already doing, is people are longing to actually give something into a work that will help people. They don't any longer want to sit in their ivory tower and worship and keep saying to people, why don't you come to church? There seems to be a stronger desire to go out and do things with people who are out there and not say thou shalt and thou shalt not, but just say, tell me about your life and how can I help? And I think that's a very, very powerful thing that's happening. But there are churches who are saying, no, we're not going to do that. We need to get back to what we always did because what we always did was right. And the difficulty in that is many times Christians conflate their church life and their culture as being one and the same, when in actual fact it's just Christian culture, but it's not Christian. It's a bit like the guns in America and all the Christians with, you know, with their AK-47s believing that's part of their Christian call. But no, it's just culture. Christian, it's just a culture that that Christian group has adopted. So you used the term when we were talking social um, cohesion, social erosion. cohesion erosion. Is that kind of what you see happening in these church communities? Yes. So the word that I had from the Lord at the beginning of 2020 was that, and I didn't have anything to bounce it off. But last year, 2022, sort of around mid-year, the World Economic Forum put out a whole lot of data on the 10 challenges that 
society is meeting, or the world is meeting in this decade, not society. The 10 challenges, global challenges that we... And so there's things like climate crisis and cybercrime and other issues like that. But the social one was social cohesion erosion, which actually means that people groups who once led a cohesive existence belonging together are now no longer feeling that. And it's almost like this centrifugal force is flinging people outside of their previous people group and they're looking for other people groups to belong to. And so that was very interesting for me that the data from the World Economic Forum fitted in with the thing that I felt that the Lord was saying to me specifically about church. So it's quite a a powerful understanding if we can grasp what that might mean for the future of the church. I'm no spring chicken, I'm in my 40s. But my generation, and certainly some um, a little bit younger than us, I'm seeing a lot of people enter into kind of this a deconstruction phase. And there's a whole lot that can be said about that. Maybe that's for another conversation. But I think maybe at the heart of that is this sense of, as you were saying earlier about the, the, the number of meetings, the kind of burnout that people were experiencing, and maybe a uh, a faith built on a shared culture rather than a shared um, sense of the saviour, you know, at, at work in the middle of right. us. Right. And so there's this thing about there's a church machine that perpetuates kind of church culture. And I feel like we're maybe experiencing a bit of a death of that, of everybody giving themselves to sustaining the church rather than um, enacting the mission of God in the world. Mm. So we are experiencing a death of that. What we're also seeing is churches who will not let that die are dying. Mm. Many churches have begun to deteriorate significantly as far as numbers are concerned, and some churches are growing. But the churches that are growing are the churches that are willing to let the machine die and are willing to engage and look for the way forward. And you mentioned deconstruction And there are certain words that Christians can be afraid of. Woke is another one. Mm -hmm. And yet, really, all deconstruction means is I am, again, counting the cost. I'm sitting down uh, and I want to build a tower or I want to send out an army and I'm counting what I have, what the resources are and what I've believed and what's really important. And so deconstruction doesn't mean I don't believe in Jesus anymore. It means... Have what I've has what I've given my life to been the thing that the Lord has been doing, or have I given myself to a Christian culture? And in the same way, I look at the word woke, and I've had a few Christians like horrified at the use of it, but it's just a word to describe I am becoming more aware of the needs and pressures and problems of other people groups that I have previously not identified with. And when you think that Jesus is the greatest empathizer because he left perfection and came down to this dirty, grubby, toxic, corrosive little world and I and fully identified with us and fully listened to us and fully was willing to be part of what we are struggling with, then actually all we're doing is emulating Jesus if we're trying to understand what it's like for people who are a, a different race, a different colour, people who are gay, people who are refugees, 
All we're trying to do is understand, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul's prayer, right, that the eyes of your heart may be opened. Uh, a lot of that is to see Jesus as he is, yes. but also it's to see his mission in the world and the people that are around us. And it, So what would you say to leaders who are... Um, it seems like there's two choices. Either we engage in the hard work of some of those issues and of not just examining the issues around us, but examining ourselves, right? And uh, reorienting ourselves in the way that we do church. And it's fun. I don't hold tandem, but I think we often focus on style with that, yes. about how we do church rather than our motive and intention. So there's there's that's the choice, which feels like a hard choice. The other choice that I see a lot of leaders making is um, if we could just, let's just ignore all of that and if we could just get back to the way that it was um, and gearing everybody up to get back into that, that thing again and, and it's not working. So what would you say to leaders who are kind of faced with that choice and the courage that's required to, to make it? I don't think some leaders understand how much leading a people group toward Christ requires courage. I think that they think it requires care and love and patience but actually to do anything effective for the Lord requires courage and courage to think differently. There's a book that I've read recently by a guy called Adam Grant and it's called Think Again. It's not a Christian book but he's talking about the necessity to be able to move away from the thoughts that you've been enculturized in in order to understand beyond what you've understood before. And so sometimes I do despair of leaders who are determined for it to go back how it used to. And I've seen churches collapse and leaders collapse with the effort of trying to make that happen. But it, it will never happen. We will not ever go, go back to how things used to be. And we need the courage to investigate the way forward. So where we are now at the beginning of 2023 is the beginning of the fourth year of this decade in which everything's going to change. So I think openness to listen, actually really listen and not just say thou shalt not, but really just say tell me your example. And I know for myself I left the church that I was in and moved to another church around the time of Black Lives Matter because, and this, this touches on what you were saying, because there was an edict, it was a large Pentecostal movement of churches, very famous, but there was an edict sent out to, to all the pastors and teams that you are not to make any statement whatsoever on the Black Lives Matter movement. And, but there's a lot of black Christians and there's, and there's a whole lot of issues that surround the, the unfairnesses and the injustices. And so therefore, we as church saying, oh, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're just interested in people getting saved, means we have no idea. We're so dull. And Paul says, you've become, your ears have become dull. You can't hear anymore. And so, you know, when we're trying to just keep everybody happy, the truth of it is, if we embrace issues like Black Lives Matter or engaging with same-sex attracted Christians who are trying to work out about getting married or, or or any of the other things, when we engage with that, we're saying we are willing to learn. 
we're not saying that what we've known up to now is all there is to know. But when people say, no, the Bible says this and I'm staying with that, what they're actually saying is my interpretation of the Bible and everything I've ever learned says this and I'm not willing to learn anything else. And that then puts us on par with God because we don't have to learn anything else. But hopefully every one of us should keep learning until the day we die. And so within the context of that, we cannot learn unless we're willing to listen. And we cannot listen unless we're willing to put aside our judgments and our pride and our pharisaical legalism that says, I know all the answers, therefore you must be wrong. Until we put that aside, we can't even make friends with people long enough to listen. So, Because people feel the wall between us, the wall of judgment. So all of that to say, I do talk to leaders. Some of them have unfriended me. That's all I can say. But some listen, and and in that way we're on a journey together. There's a whole bunch of us who don't have... So this is the point. It's better to have questions that can't be answered right now and can't be answered easily than to have answers that can't be questioned. Yeah. And, and certainly if you look, you know, even if you go and read Acts, you find a church who is constantly um, under threat or... You know, n- nowhere is there the optimum environment, <laughs> you know, to do church. But they're they're consistently adapting to either what's happening in the culture around them or issues that are being raised from within the church, issues about ethnicity and which group is treated which way. And so from the very beginning, the church has, has required the Spirit's guidance to navigate difficult issues. And willingness to change. And because that's the thing, the very first challenge the church had was, can you become a Christian without being a Jew first? Can Gentiles just bypass the Jewish route and become Christians? Okay, in the end they decided, yep, you can, provided you're not immoral, provided you don't eat blood, which of course British Christians everywhere eat black pudding, (laughs) and provided that you um, don't eat any meat sacrificed to idols. So that's there. And then several chapters on... Paul's saying, you know what, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols provided you don't upset anybody else with it and if you feel it's okay. And so there's this constant change even in the Bible and yet we think it's inviolable, you know, but women don't wear hats, divorced people have lead churches now. Like we have to be willing to understand our context and be church within our context and it doesn't mean we don't believe Jesus died for us. Sure. It just means there's a whole lot of other things that need to be factored in that Jesus would factor in if he was here in the flesh. So there's that tension between what are the things that we hold tightly, and there are those, Mm. and what are the things that we keep an open hand about, and or maybe even, just as you said, an open ear, Mm. right, to learn. Listening. Yeah. The biggest thing that we can do as church is to listen instead of talk. Um, yeah, I think, um, is there a connection then between, um, and this is kind of maybe moving us slightly back to the sense of, um, church as it was, as this kind of machine, do you think there's a connection about what's happened during COVID and the unsettling of that? And maybe some of, and we don't need to kind of go into details, but some of the more high profile, uh, leaders that we see have kind of fallen you know, just as we've come out of lockdown, it seems to me that there's n- that's no mere 
coincidence. Do you sense that? Yeah, I sense that too. And I feel, yes, we're not accusing anybody else because we all know our own hearts. And I think the more deeply you know your own heart and your own propensity towards sin, the more willing you are to to forgive other people Mm -hmm. for their stuff. So I do think that. But I think the hills that we die on are changing. You know, you could die on the hill of the world is 6,000 years old and that's the hill I'm going to die on, you know. Or you could... But you could actually think, well, no, maybe God created it differently and maybe it is a little bit older than 6,000 years and maybe it is, you know, a few billion years old and all the rest of it. Or you could die on the hill of whether you're going to have a vaccine or not. You could die on the hill of, you know, whether the same-sex people... Whether Jesus loves same-sex people and whether the same-sex people, attracted people, love Jesus... But they're not hills to die on. We die on the hill that Jesus Christ crucified, died for me, rose again from the dead, and because of him, I am free from my sin. That's the only... And and the other hill we die on is is that the only two requirements we've got is for God so love the world. The only two requirements we've got is that that, um, he called us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, called us to love our neighbour as ourselves, he said, I've got tattooed on my foot, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. They are the hills to die on. How can I love better even people that I can't identify with? And I think there are churches who are shifting to that and that the COVID and the lockdown and the other issues that happened have caused a shifting in many Christians to say the things that I have valued and conflated as being Christianity are are just external issues, but the real issue is how can I love in the way that Jesus did so that my neighbour feels the love of God? Well, we're kind of coming to the end of our our time here. Um, Maybe we can just have um, a summation um, about what you see as the future of church and church leadership. You know, you said we're at the beginning of the fourth year of this decade. Where do you see it being in 2030? I honestly feel that small groups will become much more common. People don't need slick services they don't need all the singers standing there and everything they don't need it to be so professional and so beautiful they're happy to sit around in a room with a guitar they can access the best preaching online if they want to so I feel like this the smallness of groups being able to pray together now I love church and I love going to church I do love that but it does seem to me that more and more people are thinking you know what, why don't we just let get together and have a Bible study and we'll do some worship and we'll pray a bit for each other. And that is is making a significant difference to people's lives. So I do think that that might be there. I also feel that um, I'm not against big church, but mega churches, but I, I, I do believe that mega churches were fracturing already at the beginning of this century and that all we're seeing, they're beginning to implode and all we're seeing now is actually something that's been happening for a couple of decades. And so people then become disenchanted. And if they don't leave the Lord, then they look for ways to find Christ among a smaller group of people. 
And that's a good thing. Small, small isn't bad. You know, Jesus just, he was in a pretty small environment and he never went out of it. And I think big is beautiful has been around for too long and it's a bit boring now. People need the opportunity to speak to their to their friend and pray for their friend. So yeah, I don't know enough about that. But it seems to me that small is becoming more attractive to a lot of people, especially people who grew up in large, slick churches. So Yeah. And maybe this sense of um, leaders as being those who create opportunities for people to have an increased intimacy with the heart of Jesus and also with one another, right? This kind of sense of community, um, which I think maybe lockdown, uh, in a sense, starved us of a little bit. And, and as we've come back, maybe the community is just being solely what we do in a large room, you know, for an hour on a Sunday is not the totality of what we need yeah. you know as humans and as believers in Christ mm. but i think it's important to say this and not all british christians agree with me but i think that britain the british church is way ahead of most other western world churches in terms of the things we're talking about i think there's far more willingness to step down and serve to get your hands dirty to not um be self aggrandizing on platforms etc I personally, the 17 years I spent in England, I learned so much and it changed my heart. And even though you can look at the great big movements that have got all the bells and whistles going, actually I think that they're behind the times and that the British church is on the forefront of what God is wanting to do right across the Western world church. Bev, I really appreciate you spending the time um, just to share your thoughts and loads for us to take away and think about. Um, would you mind just quickly as we end just to pray? Um, pray for Love us. Love that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand before you and we know that we have very little to offer in real terms. And yet you're the God who took those five loaves and two fishes and expanded them enough to feed thousands and thousands of people. And so, Lord, we come before you with our little lunch, with the little gifts that we have and the little abilities that we have that you created us with for good works so that we could do the things you called us to. And, Father, as we come and we hold them up to you, I pray, Lord God, that you will enable us, that you will equip us, Lord, that you will help us be a people who guard our hearts with all diligence because out of those things that are in our hearts is how we operate as church and as your representatives in the world. And we know, Lord God, that it's easy enough to do that badly as well as well. But, Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will anoint us for this decade when the world is changing so significantly and we as church need to find ways to show who you are. So, Lord, we pray that you will anoint us with that. You will, you will take the little gifts that we have and that you will expand them and amplify them so that the thing that you're calling us to do individually and corporately 
will be the thing that takes place and the world will see Jesus just that bit more clearly because they've come into contact with us. We thank you for doing that, Lord. We thank you and we so appreciate the fact that you have invited us into the family business, that we're joining you in the family business. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to work with you well and with joy and with grace and with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Beth. That's cool. That was a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much, Bev, for being so inspirational and helping us understand where leadership is going in the church. We look forward to seeing you again at our next WTC residential. In episode 10, Kenny will be joined by Danny Hampson, a WTC MA student who works with 24-7 prayer in Ibiza and has some amazing ministry experiences on the island. Danny is also passionate about theology and often challenges the status quo by seeing traditional doctrines from a fresh perspective. This will be a really cool episode. Theodisc is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programs without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. Thank you for listening to episode 9 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 10 with Danny Hampson and 24-7 Prayer in Ibiza. Bye for now.